0: It took about five years to go from indictment to trial and a jury less than a week of deliberations to find former alderman Ed Berg guilty on 13 of 14 counts. I like to think that public
1: officials out there who are tempted to start down this path will be either further on notice that you know the federal government is out there, the FBI is out there, the U.S. Attorney's office is out there and we're aggressively pursuing these type of matters. This is the Block Club Chicago podcast. I'm John Hansen, and this is part two of our Ed Burke trial coverage. Part one was a McDumpkey interview we did all about the history of Ed Burke, his long history as the longest serving older person in Chicago's history. Some really great nuggets there. If you want to learn more about Ed Burke and his rise to fame and political, well, some would say greatness, others wouldn't, uh, you can listen to that podcast. About the trial specifically, I wanted to bring in Mike Leonard. He is a federal defense attorney, so it seems perfectly fitting to have you here, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Good to
0: be here, John. Good to be here.
1: And before we even dive into the specifics of what Ed Burke was found guilty of um, and how that uh, trial played out, you've been in a lot of cases against federal prosecutors. How hard is it to get a not guilty verdict in front of a, a federal court?
0: It's difficult. Luckily, I've been able to do it on a number of occasions. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a challenging thing. Some people will go through their whole career and never get one, um, which is amazing uh, because it's difficult. I mean, federal cases are typically ones that they do an investigation for a long period of time. They don't. They don't normally just arrest somebody. Something happens. They get arrested, unless it's a bank robbery or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So they spend the time months or years developing the evidence and then by the time your client is charged they believe in their minds that they have a very solid case uh, so that creates the challenge versus state court which is more reactive to something that occurred someone was arrested while well, something's in progress not nearly the level of investigation you get on the federal side
1: how long of an investigation into ed burke do we know it went on for i mean years and years right? yeah we
0: know this goes This dates back about five years and i think it was um, I think somewhat by accident, you know, they got Solis as the cooperator, former uh, alderman Danny Solis, correct. But I don't think Burke was the target at that time, and I don't think Madigan necessarily was the target at that time. Um, but yeah, this goes back years, and I I, I got to believe that Burke has been investigated in the past. I think he, I think he has. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this case, the differential was Solis and and the clarity of the tapes, audio and video, and they were lucky to get some some beautiful. Quotes from Burke, such as, you know, did we get the tuna? Things like that. which colorful are Colorful quotes. Yeah, which are colorful and sexy and easy for a jury to understand. And I think that they also they had a cooperator in Solis who had a dry run because he's going to be testifying in the Mag- Madigan case. And he came across as very matter of fact, soft-spoken, credible. And the government was smart. They really let the tapes be the case rather than a cooperator. I want to talk
1: about that colorful language used and why that might have made a difference in juries' minds because there's been cases in the past where it's not quite as crystal clear of whether what we think they're talking about is what they're talking about. Obviously, landing the tuna is just almost so on the nose. It's almost like a script from a TV show.
0: Yeah, it's a gift. It was just a gift, an old-school politician talking off the cup to somebody else and he's a you know, almost 80 year old guy. And so his vernacular is different than many. But yeah, it's almost like a a, a spoof on a mob film or something like that. So right. you know, if you're the prosecution listening to that tape, you're like, oh my God, we we gotta we got a beautiful thing here. All right. So Ed Burke is an older person, was an older person till earlier this year. Um he also had a business which did what? I guess my understanding is that property tax appeals primarily, which is interesting because that's what madigan's firm does as well mm-hmm. um so you know the whole crux of this thing is it's a it's an old school scheme in the sense that it's it's a little bit more sophisticated than saying hey give me five grand or you know accepting cash or whatever under instead, the table yeah, or something like instead, that. instead it's a little more sophisticated that hey i want you to or you will use my law firm um and then i'm going to do favors for you that was that was the essence of the case
1: and Let's say there was no leaning on. Let's say there was no pressure to do so. There's nothing inherently illegal about someone using an older person's business, even if they happen to benefit from a law that is later passed by the city council. That on its face is legal in
0: Chicago, right? Correct. But, you know, a lot of calls for reform. 100%. Not not just in this case, but in in prior years and prior investigations, prior prosecutions, because, of course, and uh, it's, it it's provides a perverse incentive if you're going to use the other person's business. That of course, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, right? The old Chicago way. So there, there needs to be some reform in terms of what aldermen, just like s- state senators and reps, should have these same rules ethically. What you can and cannot do, right? Because there's so much of an overlap, and that leads to most of the corruption.
1: I guess what I was suggesting is that the prosecutors still had to climb a battle you couldn't just see they spent money and they may have gotten favorable things in fact many of these attempts that burke did did not actually
0: happen correct i mean so you know in in this case in terms of the allegations in this particular case you know you could argue that burke didn't profit at all except in the one instance with the developer on the other side i think he did get some business out of that Mm -hmm. but in general he didn't get what is kind of the classic quid quo, pro quo, and you know that's going to be an issue on appeal to the Seventh Circuit, and maybe ultimately the U.S. Supreme Court. But these situations where you don't get that quid pro quo, you don't you don't do one thing and get something immediately in exchange. And Burke here was trying to steer people, or encourage them, or make them use his law firm in exchange for him going to bat in his political manner, right? And uh, actually, most of the time in this case, it failed. They didn't. They didn't use his it was firm. Quid his firm, pro no. Yeah, his firm didn't make money. And you know, he was. It's interesting because it, being an old school, sophisticated politician that he is, he was. You get the clear sense, and you see from the evidence that he was kind of strung along by these guys. Mm-hmm. You know, some of these younger people who aren't beholden to politicians, aren't using, aren't used to doing business the Chicago way, particularly the Burger King developer from Texas, I mean, they basically behind the scenes were like, we don't want to use this guy. We're not going to use this guy. Um, and so I think, you know, it's interesting, uh, even from the juror's perspective, when you're looking at jury selection in the Burke case, a lot of people didn't even know who he was. You know, and so he, as powerful as he is and, and how— integral to Chicago politics he's been. A lot of the jurors who were picked had no idea what he, what he, what he was about, who he was, didn't know that he's a particularly powerful guy until they heard the testimony and evidence.
1: So just, you mentioned the Burger King thing, and that led to the Sun Times <laughs> front page uh, headline. I don't know if you saw it when the guilty verdict came out, Feds
0: land a whopper. Which was clever. Uh, That's pretty good. That's shout pretty out good. to That's the Sunday That's a pretty good Times. copy. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Very good. I mean, the papers really uh, went with this one. Right, you know? for sure. And, it, and it's like a lot of political cases in Chicago where, you know, you, you kind of have the feeling in some ways the media is driving it. These are such powerful people that are such the centerpiece of Chicago and Illinois politics. But a lot of people I know who aren't lawyers, who are average Joes. They didn't know much about the Burke case, nor did they really care, which is kind of interesting.
1: So the Whopper references the Burger King, which you mentioned, a Texas developer trying to rehab a Southside Burger King. And so what actually happened? It was a, I will help what, grease the wheels to allow this to happen if you use my business to do your taxes. That's essentially what it is.
0: It was using using their law firm for giving them legal work with regard to real estate development tax assessment things of that nature so hey i will help you go through all the red tape with driveway permits with alleged noise complaints all all sorts of stuff and hey you know you really ought to do business using my firm there were meetings including at the union league club between burke and the developer and the developer's son um so yeah that that type of stuff um which was really the centerpiece of the case
1: so thirteen out of fourteen counts he was convicted of. I just wanted to get some sort of definitions or in, explain it to me like I'm ten. Racketeering. What is
0: that? Sure. So that that kind of goes back to the the mob concept, right? That you're you are essentially operating as as a criminal enterprise, and you're engaged in acts in in, in kind of a consistent manner, right? That you have a a pattern and practice of doing illegal activities for your own personal and financial gain. You know, the racketeering typically is used with with the uh, poli- with um you know, the mafia or now nowadays more commonly with gangs, gang prosecutions, you know, sp- these sprawling cases. So they're they're basically saying he's engaged in racketeering. He had this this system of getting business done in an illegal manner and then, then they laid it out through various schemes and specific instances. Okay. What about extortion? Extortion is what it sounds like, you know. Yeah, uh, uh, you're you're gonna do something for me, or I'm not gonna do something for you. I think out of all fourteen counts, the the one count he got the not guilty on was count six, which was an extortion related count where they charged him and his aide Andrews. Um, yeah. So you know, in terms of going forward and like you can, you can break down these counts all day. Well, so that's what I was but, getting. At. But they it all seem the same, yeah, same thing. It, well, they're they're the same type of conduct, but they're different schemes. You know, so you had. You had, you had different sort of predicate uh, crimes, or I'm sorry, predicate projects that serves as the basis for the different charges. Because you could have just had the Burger King, scheme, Burger, Burger King scheme, and that led to various charges. You also had the old post office, the re- rehab of that, right? And the idea that Burke was shaking down developers who were associated with the old post office, that Telling them again, you know that you're going to use my law firm and I'm going to help you get through this red t- tape. Same thing with the, um, the museum, the the um, a field museum, field museum, where the allegation was, hey, I'm going to go to bat for you on a fee increase if you scratch my back by getting someone I know a job, right? So each, which also didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, which also it, it, again it's a he little failed. Embarrassing. Yeah, yeah so it, he failed with all his power. But each of those different schemes we've talked about: Burger King, Field Museum old post office all of those independently could form the basis for charges and they did and so there was sort of a grouping related to the different schemes. so but here's here's the thing going forward everyone's talking about gee he can get 20 years um and of course that's possible theoretically but there's something more important in these cases called the federal sentencing guidelines and that really is more uh you know indicative of what the type of sentence will get. I don't know off the top of my head, what his guideline range is. Mm-hmm. So, and, and just give me, I'll give you an example. You might be have, you might have a case where the statute, the law says, Hey, you can get up to 20 years or you can get up to 10 years, but then your federal sentencing guideline range may be much lower. For instance, it might be a range between 48 and 60 months. I'm just making up numbers mm-hmm. here. Uh, so more likely, you know, Burke, I think Burke will get, uh, harshly rebuked by the judge who also was a former prosecutor worked for the U.S. attorney's office. And I think he'll get, you know, some significant time. However, there's huge mitigation here. He's an 80 year old guy uh, and he's, you know, served the community for many years. Some would argue he's done a lot of good for Chicago. Others would argue, no, that this is, this is just indicative of a tip of the iceberg of, of his conduct, but his age alone is a huge mitigating factor. So, what Judge will judge Kendall will give him as any, anyone's guess, it's not going to be 20 years. I don't think it's going to be 10 years. I could see something in range of, on the worst case scenario, maybe four or six or eight years, but I, I don't think he's going to get the type of sentence people are banding about, especially, that just especially def- at his age.
1: Is that the, just the defense attorney in you saying that, or is that based on things you've seen this judge do in the past or federal judges do in similar circumstances?
0: Well, again, most most judges are, are driven, uh, number one, by by look at the federal sentencing guidelines. And, of course, they're allowed to go below those guidelines. They're allowed to go above. Uh, they don't typically give people the maximum sentence allowed under the law. It's very common for people, not just Burke, every every type of um, convicted criminal in the federal system, they get a sentence below the guidelines. That happens all the time. Um, however, I think there's going to be a strong push by this judge to uh, make an example of him, which many judges have tried before and failed with various other politicians. So this idea that... You know, you should pay for others and you were going to be the deterrent for others. It really hasn't worked. Mm -hmm. And so the defense counsel will have a strong argument. Yeah, Judge, you know, Burke is supposed to be the poster child for reform. We've seen that long sentences for politicians don't work in our system. So you shouldn't tie the sentence to that. But, you know, knowing a little bit about Judge Kendall having appeared in her before her, knowing her background, I, I think that she'll have some harsh things to say. In the sentencing hearing, which of course will get a lot of attention, and I think he's going to have to do some years, but it's not—it's going to be nothing like twenty years.
1: You uh, paid close attention to that trial. I think you actually witnessed some of the days in in court. Right? You yeah, actually popped I'm, your Yeah, I'm, I'm
0: familiar with with a number of the lawyers who were actually involved, and so I did watch a bit of it.
1: So, anything stand out to you as unusual, or was this a pretty run of the mill case of uh, a politician and greed, and that was tried? you know, admirably by both sides. Like what were your, what were your main takeaways?
0: Yeah. It's, it's never run in the mill. I guess they're all, they're all so different. I, one thing that struck me as interesting if you were actually in the courtroom physically, the way the room was set up, you had three defendants. So if you walked in the room to the right side of, of the pews, so to speak, or the other bleachers were uh, the defense tables with the lawyers and, and their, their clients. And then that's to the right. And then to the left would be the prosecution table where Burke sat was such a prominent position in the courtroom. It was almost like he was overseeing the process, you know what I mean? But from the defendant's perspective. So it's kind of weird how it was even where he was seated because he was so, such a, in such a central seat. Who makes that determination? Well, it's just where the defense tables were and uh, where he chose to sit, you know? Huh. Um, so he was kind of front and center, so to speak, looking at the action. So, And it's very interesting when you have someone who's that well-known and has such a history in Chicago to be kind of— presiding over things as a defendant like just sitting back and having to listen to all this for weeks um but i think that what the government did was somewhat interesting you know they had a case built almost exclusively on audio and videotapes and so they chose not to call the person who was behind the audio and videotape solis they just their position was hey let's keep this clean we're not going to make the case about the cooperator, Solis. We're going to make it about Burke and his words. We're going to show this this jury, you know, dozens of audio and videotapes and let Burke's words sink him, which I thought was a clean, crisp way to do it. And then it, it kind of forced the defense's hand. Well, OK, we're going to call Solis. We're going to say he's a piece of S. Mm-hmm. We're going to say he's garbage. But in a case like this, it wasn't particularly effective because, you know, Solis just got on a stand. Took his medicine like a good cooperator does and said, Hey, look, yeah, of course they had me for my own crimes. Of course, I agreed to participate to get a better deal for myself. Of course, I'm hopeful to get no time at all for myself. That's why I did it. But it didn't really change the nature of what Burke said, you know, because you couldn't prove that Solis, you know, behind the scenes was. Lying to him or or doing anything untoward, it was like Salise was a very valuable cooperator who was kind of an observer uh, through the audio and video. So I think the attacks on Salise kind of fell flat uh, because it didn't matter. You know, even if he even if you thought he was a bad guy for being a mole or a turncoat or whatever, the tapes were what they were. So it was a difficult case to defend from that standpoint. Um, I did think that Burke might catch a few more not guilty accounts because I thought. Particularly that field museum scheme, I thought that was really weak. It was basically, for your viewers who don't know about it, is that he had recommended somebody to the field, gave their resume to the field and said, hey, why don't you hire this person? They kind of blew him off. And I don't think it was even intentional. I think it just got caught in the red tape. Right. And then they were talking to him about an upcoming fee increase for the field. And he was kind of like, hey, surprised to hear from you after what you did to me. Uh, but, you know, it, it's almost no different than if, if you In knew somebody industry, well yeah. at a company and you gave him a resume and said, hey, can you help me here? Please give this kid a shot. And they blew you off. You'd have the same reaction whether you're a politician or not. So I just thought those, the Field Museum related things I thought were weak. So I thought he might catch a couple of not-guilties there. He only caught one not guilty. So I think overall everyone expected him probably based upon the evidence to go down. The other thing was with the co-defendants, um, as John, for once, I've made a correct prediction my whole career. Yes, WGN, I made one correct prediction. I said his co-defendant, Andrews, who's kind of his aide, um, was going to get a not guilty. He did. Those those lawyers who represented him did an excellent job. And what they established was that, look, just because he's acting at Burke's behest doesn't mean he knows there's anything wrong with what he's doing. He's just a guy carrying out ministerial acts. So I think the, the defense, which was Pat Blagan and Todd Pugh, did a f- tremendous job positioning Andrews for not guilty completely in all five counts.
1: Okay. You've been on this side of things too, even though you've won at federal court. I know you've lost cases too. I have. (laughs) Let's say in 30 seconds, (laughs) if you're Ed Burke's lawyer.
0: What do you say to him in those first moments after
1: he finds out his fate?
0: There's not much to say. It's really just consolation, you know, depending upon the nature of the client. Sometimes you're giving a hug. Sometimes you're trying to buoy them up. But, you know, Burke knows the consequences here. Uh, but what you're really trying to do is kind of you're kind of playing the role of, of consoler. It's a difficult situation, even in Burke's shoes. I think he was probably very surprised, you know, based upon the, the longevity of his career and what he's gone through over decades, and has never been you know targeted like this. I think he probably was very still in his own mind, optimistic that he was going to win. So you're really just trying to play the ro- the role of, of counselor, counselor with a COU and S-E-L-O-R versus lawyer (laughs) counselor and you know, know, sometimes you're giving your client a hug, sometimes you're trying to just buoy their spirits back up telling them the fight's not over we still have a sentencing hearing, we still have post-trial motions, we still have appeal those types of things, you know sometimes not in Burke's case, you know they're despondent, your client might just be bawling, you know so it's a tough it's really tough for everybody Mike Leonard, we appreciate your expertise Thank you John,
1: nice to be here That'll do it for the Block Club Chicago podcast. Have a great holiday weekend, everybody. We'll drop another pot on you next week.